Hello, hello, hello. Welcome to the podcast. This is Behind the Movement. I'm Kyle Fincham, and my guest today is Jarlo Ilano. I'm looking forward to sharing this conversation with you. I'll get to it momentarily. First, I want to thank everybody who came out to Infinite Play in Long Island this past weekend. It was hosted by Locomotion New York, and it was a really beautiful weekend. Such an amazing group. Really hot days, um, but even uh, uh, amid the the heavy, heavy heat, that group really, really brought the good time. So thank you guys so much for, for being there. Uh, if you weren't there, I wish you were there, and uh, hopefully I'll head back out to Long Island again someday soon. But yeah, big thanks to everyone, and a, and a, and a really big thank you to uh, the group at Locomotion for bringing it all together. I've got a whole bunch more infinite play happening between now and uh, the first week of August. This weekend, May 28th and 29th, I am headed to Toronto. I'm actually getting on the plane tomorrow morning. I'm really looking forward to this event. It's hosted by the Spirit Loft. And yeah, if you want to sign up, you can just go to spiritloft.com. There are still spaces available. Um, After that, I'll take a week off and then I'll be headed to Europe. And the first few stops are in Salzburg on June 11th and 12th, then Berlin on June 18th and 19th, and then Paris on the 25th and 26th. I'd love to see you. If you're anywhere nearby, uh, for information on signing up for those workshops, you can just go to my website, kylefincham.com. That's it. My announcements are short and sweet. Um, But yeah, lots of infinite play. And then after that workshop in Paris, I'll be continuing on through Europe into uh, July and the beginning of August. And all the the dates are up there on my website. And uh, a number of the events um, in in July and in August still have uh, early bird pricing you can jump on. So... You should do that if you're planning on coming. All right, let's get to it. My conversation with Jarlo. Um, I really enjoyed this. Um, I've heard about Jarlo for a long time. A number of people speak really highly of him, and uh, it was a really great conversation. Um, I see why uh, there's so much fondness for who he is and what he's doing out there. If you're not familiar with his work, here is a little bit of his bio. Uh, Jarlo is a physical therapist since 1998 and board-certified orthopedic clinical specialist with the American Board of Physical Therapy Specialties. He has an extensive postgraduate training in neck and back rehabilitation with an emphasis in manual therapy. He's uh, He's certified a therapeutic pain specialist through Evidence in Motion Institutes of Health Professions in partnership with Purdue University. Jarlo's been teaching martial arts for over 20 years with a primary focus on Filipino martial arts. His main goal is to teach students students how to fight effectively as quickly as possible and enjoy their training. This was really wonderful. I really uh, uh, can't say enough good things about about Jarlo and, and, and what he shared here. So 
without any further ado, this is my conversation with Jarlo Ilano. This is the, the first time I've ever logged on to one of these and just seen a wall of blades behind oh, something. Oh, yeah. <laughs> it's been, uh, been a few years. So I do Filipino martial arts. Mm-hmm. And uh, a few of these are from the Philippines and a few were imported in. But uh, I got my first one. It was like teenager and then just kind of kept kept collecting. So it was nice. Yeah. Yeah, they're cool. So that those are like the the typical weapons for like the martial arts you practice yeah so uh call it kali or screma um what else arnis all this kind of different names um i call it colleagues that's what my teacher calls it and it can be a blade art stick knife whips sword all that kind of stuff i've been doing that since i was 16 wow yeah so over 30 years now I had um, uh, Paul McCarthy, yeah, from UCLA, uh, yeah, on the podcast because he did that talk, cognitive collie. Yeah, we have mutual friends. I um, his program's great. So a, a lot of the coordination drills uh, in double stick mm-hmm. uh, is what is in his cognitive collie program. We call it Sinawali. Sinawali uh, in one of the dialects means weaving. So you know you're moving your hands back and forth is sort of like you know weaving a, a mat and type of thing uh so there's there's a lot of different things with that a lot of that is uh great brain play you know hand-eye coordination learning patterns uh some of it's from fighting and some of it isn't uh a lot of the filipino martial arts like to talk about having a matrix of possibilities so if you can do this one way from this angle you can go from another angle and you know, all of that type of thing. If you could do it with right hand, you can do your left. You can go from top to bottom, top to top. Uh, it's really good. It's really good, especially if you haven't done any of that type of thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, they use, I used it quite a bit with some of my patients too. Uh, neuro rehab uh, as well as orthopedic stuff. So that's good. Is that, is that the first martial art you kind of stuck your hands in? Um, no, I've been doing lots of things since I was like 12, 13, you know, that kind of typical community center karate stuff. And, you know, your parents just put you in, but I just ended up liking it. So I did mm-hmm. that. I boxed, got my black belt in Taekwondo. I did wushu, performance wushu, Tai Chi. Uh, my first Filipino martial arts lesson was in the Philippines. We were there on vacation. So I did uh, four hours a day for a week. Cause we were at my, uh, the Island where my mom's from and they found me a guy I kept doing that. Uh, you know, all through college, just did that. And then, uh, when I was in Hawaii, I started with my teacher, Burton Richardson. He's under, uh, Guru Santo. So Paul McCarthy, that's who we learned from mm-hmm. and, uh, did Brazilian Jiu Jitsu. This was 2004. So that's when I started BJJ MMA. Muay Thai, all that kind of stuff. So I just kind of kept at it. Wow. Yeah. I mean, as you were talking there, I was like, I just felt like I heard like 10 lifetimes worth of martial arts. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's sort of the thing where, you know, you're exposed as a kid and you either like it or you don't. Uh, it's actually interesting though, because I had friends, actually uh, kids that 
I met through my parents, friends, and they were from Atlanta or somewhere in the South, and they were world champion, like sport karate kids, like literally world champion from when they were, uh, you know, little kids into their teens. And they stopped. And I remember that distinctly because they like, I was talking to them, I was like, oh, that's great. You know, tell them all this stuff. We were talking. And I was like, oh, you still do it? Like, no, don't do it anymore. Hmm. Which is, which is wild. I mean, they got, to like world champion level, you know, national champion level. And they just kind of were like, oh, that's it. But, you know, which is weird to me because it's like, oh, if, if you loved it enough, why don't you just kind of keep going? Right. Yeah. But I think that's a lot of, you know, I, I've been a PT since 98. I've had a lot of patients through the years, you know, I've worked in hospitals, nursing homes, clinics. And you see that kind of same thing. Like they, they did sports, right. When they were younger, whether it was in high school or college, and then they just stopped, like just stopped. And you got to wonder about that. It's like, I'm sure they had passion for it, right? I mean, if you're doing uh, high school and collegiate sports, you know, that, that's a lot of time, right? You're, you have a lot of time invested in it. You've done all your things. I'm sure you had your passion, but to just stop and like stop moving. Like they didn't even, you know, I'm not even saying, you know, you should go in a rec league or, you know, do like, you know, adult soccer or whatever. They just stop doing anything, mm. you know? And I'm sure you've seen that when you go to workshops and you hear people's stories. And I think a lot of that is uh, maybe societal, societal expectations. If you're not going to do a sport to win, right? Or if you're not going to do a sport to compete or, or whatever, then a lot of people don't see the point to it, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. Uh, anyway, that was kind of a tangent, but that I think that's what it is. I mean, if you uh, enjoy moving your body, enjoy doing things, right? Yes, it's it's physical fitness and and you know being strong or whatever, but I think uh, I think it needs to be a part of your life, right? Yeah, and you have to. You have to find your, you know, what your intention of doing it is. And uh, I think a lot of people, they didn't have that maybe. Because why, why would you stop? If you loved it enough at some time, at some point to you know, spend your whole, how many, you've seen it. Like I have kids, our kids, uh, one of our boys is in soccer. And that's like everything, like hours a day, every weekend, all that stuff. And he loves it. That would be like him stopping it tomorrow because of whatever. Yeah. Right? That's the way I feel about it. I'm like, ah, people tell I wonder, me. I, I, I wonder myself, it's like, you know, like the, the, the specialization, like losing its yeah. novelty where like, you know, I listened to your story and it was like, you know, this martial art, that martial art. So it's like, it, it, it fills this kind of like this, this, this void of, of novelty. Right. Cause I think when we start specializing too much, we, even if it's super complex, like wrestling or contemporary dance, I think it has the potential to become familiar. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. So like keeping it novel by like adding in these other pieces that like are around the sphere. I think that we just kind of, we do a lot of like celebrating specialization. Maybe that's something. I think so. I mean, that's a, that's a common thing, you know, especially with what they're saying with kids, you know, people, uh, you know, soccer is a great example or any type of children's sport that's very uh, 
regulated, uh, like very popular, like as soon as you get in, there's like, you know, you're part of hundreds of kids, right? It's very like stepwise, right? You're in this level and you're in this level and you're in this level. And they don't, uh, I don't say they don't encourage other things because they, they do and they should. But say you're a parent and you're like, oh, this, I want my kid to be the best at this. And then that's all they do. Mm-hmm. But all the research and all of the, the things over the years saying over-specialization when you're a, you're a child is the, the worst thing to do. Like the absolute worst thing to do. Like, I think even Gretzky said it. Like, yes, he played hockey and it was his main thing, but he also did other things. Mm-hmm. Right. And that made him better. And he, so, and, he, and he chose like how he wanted to tinker with hockey. For yeah, absolutely. An extended period of time. Yeah. And I, I think it's a hard thing because yes, you should spend, uh, you know, kind of an intensive period. I believe you should spend an intensive period on the thing. Uh, yes. I've done all of these kind of, of all of these different martial arts, but I, I kind of dove into it. Like I, my, my latest thing is a uh, Bagua, Bagua Zong. It's a Chinese internal martial art. And I had done a little bit as a teenager uh, with different Chinese martial arts, but uh, about three years ago, I saw a friend of mine, Karsten Stausberg out of Germany, and he was offering uh, online. And I always had a hard time finding someone around local. So I was like, man, I'll just do it. And uh, it was awesome. So I was like completely from scratch, like zero. And it was great. It was super hard. And I, I was like, I put myself into it, you know, a few hours a day, you know, three days a week for at least a year and a half. And then I, I put my other things back in a little bit more. I think you have to do that. I think you should uh, be intensive for a bit and then learn how to cycle everything back in. Right. Yeah. Kind of like move in and out of the funnel, move in oh, and yeah. kind of focus and then move back out and then focus and back out. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I really do believe that. And most people do have a main thing, you know, whether it's dance or the particular martial art, or if it's, you know, even something like strength training, like people love like barbell work or, or whatever, or kettlebells or whatever, and that's their thing, but they also move in and out and, you know, either try to enhance it or just get away from it a bit. Right. And, and realize how much you, uh, you really enjoy it when you go back to it. So that type of cycling in and out is, is the best. And, you know, that's as distinct from say, you know, I don't want to be pejorative or anything, but you know, people that just kind of dabble, right. Oh, I'll do this for a couple of weeks. And mm-hmm. I think that's okay. But I think you have to, again, it depends on your intent. If you're just doing it to have some fun and, you know, move around and do stuff, then yeah, absolutely. But if you ever want to, you know, and this seems kind of elitist, but if you ever really want to get good at something, you gotta you gotta deep dive into it for a little while but again if you don't want to i mean that's the thing like i'm I'm never gonna say oh don't do that or you have to do this i think you should when you're getting into something or you you choose what you want to do uh you have to be real you know your why what's your why of doing it what's your intent Mm -hmm. and you're going to be much better off right you won't uh, be frustrated or you won't go oh man i'm I should do this, but I don't really like it. So that's the worst thing in the world, mm-hmm. right? Thinking you got to do something either because someone's telling you or, oh, it's good for me. You know, that's not going to last long. Mm-hmm. Like that wouldn't, 
I'm uh, heading into what 35 years of this, but went into it going, Oh, I got to do it. I'm just going to do it. There's no way I would have lasted that long. No way. What, what you, you, you said um, that it would be really helpful for the people to come up with their why and that helps them. Yeah, um, absolutely. What, what, I'm curious uh, what your why is because you have such this like a uh, fascinating drive for the things that you're doing and have done. Um, well, I think some of it, like for me, it evolved over time. Like, for example, the, the martial arts thing was just my primary thing, even when I was like 14. You know, that's when I kind of really got into it. And I remember, you know, this was the 90s and it was you had to go. It was like magazines, books. You know, there was no YouTube. There was no even finding like videos. Right. Like Kung Fu movies and stuff it was hard. You know, it was hard. I mean, you had to find a VHS tape. You had to go into Chinatown, you know, all these types of things. And uh, I remember just trying to get better. And I, I don't even know why, I think, at that point. I mean, do you when you're a teenager? Right? Is it just to look cool or is it? To, but for whatever reason, I was like, I, I, here's a, I distinctly remember this. It's like uh, one of my teachers, like, you got to stretch. Okay, what does that even mean, right? I'm 14 or 15. Yeah, you we do PE and all that. But I remember looking up stuff again in the magazines, and then there's this thing called PNF, right? Uh, prior neuromuscular facilitation. That back then it was, you know, when you're in the magazines, it's just well, this is the way to stretch. You know, later on as I got into school and PT school and all that, I, I realized what it was is a huge system. But back then, it was like, oh, yeah, you squeeze your muscles and you relax, you do all this. And I, I totally remember that going, oh, man, I think I found a secret, <laughs> right? I think a lot of my why back then was just, can I find something to help me get better at whatever? I just had this sort of, I want to get better, right? But that's that was, it's really vague. But I think when you start something, maybe that vagueness is okay. But to continue on and to keep going and, and to figure out um, is this something I want to keep doing, then you need uh, you need to align yourself with why you're real why are you really doing it? This sort of values-based work, especially in the last 10, 15 years, has just been phenomenal, right? Getting people to understand, you know, why you're really doing this, you know, especially in fitness. A lot of the times you're like, everything is geared towards how you look, mm -hmm. right? Uh, get into shape, right? Lose weight, right? All of these types of things, you're just bombarded with it. That's what fitness means to people. And uh, that can only take you so far, right? And there's nothing wrong with, you know, aesthetics and, and uh, wanting to do that. And I have lots of friends that do that, right? And again, I'm talking about the 90s. Like I was, I love lifting weights back then because I was, had bodybuilding magazines, all that kind of stuff, right? All that kind of stuff. Uh, but it also caused a lot of problems, right? Yeah, body dysmorphia, right? All of these eating disorders and all this types of things because people were, weren't really getting why they wanted to do it in the first place, right? Uh, you could say healthier, you could say all these things, but you know, where are you coming from? 
for it. And I think a lot of times, in, you know, this is all the negative stuff. It's maybe was coming from a place of insecurity, mm-hmm. right? If you aligned your values of, okay, what, why are you so insecure then? What is it? You know, what is it that you need out of a, a, an activity? These are the types of things I've been thinking about a lot over the last 10 years or so, because the more I, I kind of segued out of physical therapy and more into training uh, clients and, you know, giving people information as to, you know, with GMB, we call it changing the face of fitness, right? Changing what people really think about what it means to be fit. And it's beyond uh, losing weight, you know, beyond looking a certain way. And, uh, yeah. Sometimes I think it's like, um, you know, at other times in history, like culture and society and community was, would have done like a really good job of like satisfying these like value questions. And now we're kind of like left on our own uh, to figure yeah. these things out. And I yeah, say it's, it's something I, I would say it's something I, I struggle with because I'm like, once you get to that point where like your values are tightly intertwined with like what you're presenting, you're almost like, oh, like everybody should have access to this because it's like, at this point, we're just kind of sharing wisdom that would have never really been a commodity in the past or something. You know, it's like, oh, like people should have access because maybe the world looks a little different if, uh, <laughs> if people have this stuff. Yeah, I, I think so. I mean, a lot of the rites of passage thing in, in various cultures is there's a reason why it was in place, right? Uh, otherwise, people do feel unmoored, right? Uh, everyone today is like, oh, the kids are on their phones too much, or you know, all of these types of things. But before it was the before it was like, oh, kids are on TV too much or they're playing video game too much. And before that, they're like, oh, they're outside too much. They really said, right? They're outside too much. They should be reading more, right? They should be in the classroom. And before that, right? Oh, they should be hunting more, right? They should be doing, all of that is is just reactionary, I think. Because if you look at the the heart of, okay, why are kids on their phones? And, and well, they're trying to find their community, right? They're trying to find their community. They're trying to find answers to whatever questions they have. You know, uh, that's what I think. I don't think there's anything wrong with like being on on the phone or you know forums or social media or whatever. Yes, it's it can be uh, have its ba- bad side, but again, what's the intent of it? Why are they doing that? Well, they're looking for something. They're looking for connection, in my opinion. Yeah, and I think you're right with the you know, the rites of passage thing, you know, that, that was a huge thing in the, the 90s, sort of that uh, vision questing type of thing. And I, I think it was great. Uh, I think people went too far with it sometimes, right? I mean, you can't do, you have to live your life and, you know, and do all this type of thing. But I think people really uh, go to extremes, Right. If if you aren't satisfied, then I think it's very easy to go to the extreme in, in, in one way or another. You know, when you talk about the rites of passage, it makes me think about something I read, and I'm gonna probably not get it like right exactly how was it written, but it was the idea that like in, at times in history, like a lot of these rites of passage had a lot to do with kind of like you say, like these 
vision quest, but it meant going out like into the wilderness oftentimes for some amount of time uh, to kind of like have that perspective to be like, as, as, as this guy wrote in this book, like to, to be reminded that like the wilderness doesn't care that you're human, mm-hmm. you know, and go and get mm-hmm. that, you know, powerful perspective of like, you know, what we're really a part of. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I think that's the part of the, the searching thing. Cause you, uh, you know, especially, you know, when you become an adult, right. Or have responsibilities and you, or, you know, even before that. So uh, our kids are just turned 13. Now we have twin boys. Mm-hmm. And I remember that time distinctly, right. Who, you're trying to find your place, who you want to be. Right. And you have all these people, right. That are either good role models or maybe telling you what to do or, you know, all these types of things. And you're confused. Mm-hmm. It's, I mean, it's just the nature of it. How, how do you, how could you know what you want to be? Right. And so finding uh, it's sort of finding somewhere beyond that. Is this all there is type of thing, you know, and wilderness, the example of going out in the woods or, you know, or doing an, uh, this sort of activity straight out of your norm sort of snaps you out of, you know, those doldrums. Um, you know, when you and your workshops and in your work, you talk about play, I think that's a, it's a huge thing because to me, play is, uh, it's inherent to like a social species, to social species, right? Um, more than just, you know, moving around doing whatever play has its, its, uh, its roots in like learning social rules, skill training, school training, bonding, right? The community thing, right? There's no reason, right? There's no reason to play, right? You got to eat. You gotta get shelter. You gotta, you know, protect yourself. You do all these things. So what? Why is there? Why is there play across the board in all societies, and even in, in uh, you know, animal groups? Why is there play? And to me, it has to be a learning thing. It has to be those things that we talked about. It has to be social bonding. It has to be skill learning. It has to be all those types of things. Um, the problem is, is when it becomes either too competitive, right? People are like, oh, playing, that means sports. And there's nothing wrong with competition. You know, there's nothing wrong with all of that type of stuff. It's great. It becomes the problem when the intent goes towards, well, I need to win, I need to get a medal or, or whatever, this trophy. Then you lose all of the, you know, the original reasons for, for play. Right. In my opinion. Yeah. Yeah. I, I actually had a, um, a really nice voicemail left to me from, uh, do you know, Flynn Disney? He's out in the, he was in the UK, but I think he, he might've moved, but he, he teaches movement, practices parkour. And we were okay. exchanging some messages and he was saying that he was talking to his group about play and really the differentiation between a game and playing at least like in like the language that we use and the way we approach it. Like the game is often that like kind of winning attitude. Yeah, absolutely. And play is just for the sake of. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And yeah. people do get confused by that. Yeah. And it's, it's a natural confusion because again, what's the, what's the examples of play? Either you, 
you think it's like babies and kids just doing whatever and then you don't realize or you don't know the root of it is of what they're doing you know developmental uh motor development and developmental psychology all that kind of thing but why would you know unless that's your thing mm-hmm. so you either think it's that which is uh if you don't know the reasoning you think oh that's just you it's just fun it's useless it's whatever they're just spending time yeah or you equate it with sports mm-hmm. right you equate it with all of those things that you know were inculcated in as soon as we get into school yeah right and i think that's kind of gets back to the beginning of you know our converse, conversation here is when people just stop it like fully just stop mm-hmm. so that that one really got me you know when i started hearing more stories about that because it was beyond my it i was outside my experience i just like i said i never stopped you know here and there like you know i had school or i do stuff where it was less intense but i always had it somewhere right uh you know, when you have when the kids were babies, that was a hard that was a hard time. You know, the first you know we had twins the first year and a half, uh, just make it through life, right? Right. But you know, once they started taking naps, found my way back into it. That's the hardest part is finding your way back into it, in my opinion. When it when but it comes, yeah, I mean, I'm sorry. I'm oh, sorry. No. Yeah, well, I mean, ask- that's that's the thing. Like with with play, you have to. I think you have to define it. Hmm. Right, you can't just say these words like play or just move. You know, that's my thing with like like movement, movement culture and and all this type of stuff, especially in the last five, six, seven years, is great. It's awesome, but I think it's too ill-defined mm-hmm. for a lot uh, to really resonate with people. So unless you go like to a workshop where you you find someone that you could, you know, help uh, help you through it, and you just Say you're on, you know, you're on Facebook or Instagram or whatever. You see these videos, you, you're not going to get it. It's just a bunch of people moving, their, you know, waving their arms around, right? right. Un- unless they, someone, you know, helps you understand what they're doing. You know, and that's been a big part of what, you know, me and my company have been trying to do over the last, you know, 11, 12 years is kind of help people understand well, why are they doing this, all right? Uh, otherwise it'll just be they go to the doctor and the doctor says you gotta lose 20 pounds right well your blood pressure is high you gotta do this so go on the treadmill right go on the machines uh, and you'll be fine right and sure but that's not helpful if the again if the people just go I gotta do this I gotta go to the gym I gotta do this or I'm going to die. Mm-hmm. Sure, that's a good why, I guess. But you want to be miserable while right. you're trying not to die. That's, that's right. Well, because it's well, because it's, it's 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 always used in the terms of like being a workout, right? Yeah, being a and workout. Like, and, and like when people have worked all day, then you're telling them they have to go work again for their workout. Right. Exactly. You I know? think and it's that's like it's kind of, of the... reinforcing the grind thing. That's it. It's work. It's a workout. It's a thing you have to do. I think that the with the the burgeoning popularity of, for example, BJJ mm-hmm. um, over the last, you know, how many years? 10, 15 years. Yes, there's MMA and all the kind of stuff on TV and you know fighting and all that. But if you go to BJJ gyms, you know, 
yes, there's people that compete and there's fighters and all that, but a vast majority of them are not that, right? The gym where I take uh, private lessons at over here in Seattle framework, you know, over half, more than half the people in there are not going to be fighters, right? They're doing it, yes, for self-defense and all that type of thing, but they, they quickly learn and you see it that it's, it's a sense of community, you know, a sense of kind of upward moving towards getting better at something. And, you know, the rough housing, the play aspect of it is inherent. You roll and that's, you know, you're back to being a kid again. And it's so I would say, I, 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 when someone asked me about going to BJJ, I'm like, I, I definitely do jujitsu, but like, I, I'm kind of going there to rough house. Yeah, that's absolutely it. Mm-hmm. Right. What's your intent? Uh, unless you're going to be a competitor or teach or, or, or whatnot, you don't really need a particular goal aside from, Oh, I want to, I want a rough house. I want to play around. Uh, it should be that also that you want to help your partner and everyone around you get better too. That's the best, but also you're just in there to, to mess around. Yeah. Right. And there's nothing wrong with that at all. Like that's not, an, uh, when I talk about intent and goals and whys, just going in there because you're having fun. I think that's the best goal. Why not? Yeah. Right. That's why I don't really tell people like, oh yeah, you should do this thing. It's great. Well, it might be great for me, but <laughs> right, you got to find what's best for you. Uh, the trouble for me though, is especially with martial arts and it's just from my background, if you're going to call something a martial art, the, the heart of it is fighting. It's a combative thing. Uh, and not, I'm not saying that everything you do needs to be a fight or, or everything, you know, related to it is martial and, and, you know, all of that type of thing. But I'm saying if you're going to call it a certain thing, then that has to be a part of it. Mm-hmm. Right. Uh, that's why cognitive Kali is a good example. That's not fighting. It's not and it's right from the outset. It's, it's coordination drills. You know, you're developing neural pathways. You know, it, it's helpful, right? I think that's great if you're in there from the start, right? Uh, it's when otherwise things become too muddled. And again, your definitions are, are off and that can cause uh, a lot of confusion and, and frankly, cultish kind of behavior. So I'm doing this because of this. Uh, not really. Right. If you really were, why don't you join the military? Right. right? Why don't you do this? Right. That's that's what it is. Mm-hmm. So that's another thing of like finding a, a teacher or a school or a group. You really want to make sure that the there's an alignment there and mm-hmm. a values alignment. Otherwise, you know, again, this is kind of a tangent, but to me, it, it's a lot of this is how can you keep this going in your life? Right. Yeah. You know, I'm, I'm heading into 50 in a couple of years and it's wild. It's wild because I've liked these things. I've been doing these things for over 30 years now. It's nuts. The more I think about it, mm-hmm. right. I'm listening to the same music I did too. I was like 50. <laughs> <laughs> right. I mean, it's just the way it is. I do the same thing. Right. Mm-hmm. I think uh, I'm on these tangents because that's sort of what I'm looking at now. Um, 
yes, there are optimal ways of getting more mobile and getting stronger and you know all these types of things. And that's awesome. Yes, optimal. Sure. I'm not saying be uh, less than. But to me, the whole thing is, are you going to do this? Are you going to be able to keep doing this in a year, two years, three years, five years, yeah. you know, 20? Because you should. Yeah. That's more important than anything optimal. And, and like being optimally fit is really only a fraction of our human potential. Oh man, that's it, right? Right, like, like when, you, when we talk about fighting and play and dance, especially like, you know, improvisational dance and contemporary dance, things like this, it's like, it's always in relation to something or someone else, which is asking more of our like senses and our creativity and our, our abilities to like cooperate and adapt to situations. And we, we can be super optimally fit and still struggle with kind of being a human being. Yeah, absolutely. Right? It's still this like dance between all of these things. Right. And actually expanding on that, the whole optimally fit you know, strength and all that kind of thing, it's limited. Mm-hmm. It's just the way it is. Right. You cannot continue to be optimally fit for 40, 50, 60 years. I'm not saying you can't be fit uh, and above average and all of these things into your well into your 60s, 70s and 80s. But optimally fit is a moment in time Mm -hmm. for strength, flexibility, you know, conditioning, all that. But motor control, coordination, relating with others, that's limitless. And that's not even just like a philosophical thing. It's, it's true. Like motor skills, fine motor skills, uh, mirror, mirroring other people, you know, mirror neuron thing. Uh, research shows it is essentially limitless, right? And, and the magic that we have when, you know, optimally fit is like something we've also kind of defined over the years. But like when we're not this kind of pinnacle peak magazine cover thing the our real magic is how we work with our like call it imperfection or, or our yeah, unideal qualities like i just absolutely um, i've talked about it before but like i watched the the tony hawk documentary on hbo yeah great example dude and he talks about he was this scrawny little kid and he couldn't get out of the pipe right and so he created his own way of jumping out of the pipe that actually got him higher despite having no strength and real no weight to like gain momentum. It was great example. Change the whole thing. Change the whole thing. And he's continuing on. Yeah. Right. Like he hit his 900 even just a few years ago, right. Way over 40. Mm -hmm. Right. It's nuts. He's a, he's a premier example. The, the other kind of counterpoint to him in skating is Rodney Mullen. Mm -hmm. Uh, And he wasn't flashy. But man, he was so smooth. And I think he's still, I mean, I don't know if he still skates, but it's, you know, he was creating these tricks that weren't necessarily, uh, and I say counterpoint to Tony Hawks. Tony was like very, it seemed athletic. I mean, he was doing some massively crazy things, but that, that's kind of distinct to Rodney, who was just smooth as, you know, smooth as shit. Mm-hmm. So you, you find, uh, you can find your way through different things to, uh, you know, your optimal optimum you know ability but again it's just like you said it's defined by it's defined whatever you define it as is what it is right like being being creative and adaptable and cooperative are going to get us to the end 
Yeah, absolutely. It will help us solve whatever the things are that emerge because there are the days where it's like, oh man, like my new life looks like a life where I'm carrying rocks and lifting people and moving this around. Well, I'm going to adapt and I'll figure out a way to be rhythmic in that way and get strong in that way. Or maybe life turns into another thing where it's like, well, I've got to walk 20 miles a day to get to this thing. Okay, well, I'll, I'll adjust to this situation and you know, create some solutions and adapt. You know, it's like, that's our magic. It's not to always be like Schwarzenegger. Yeah, no, I, I totally agree. Um, and that's the thing is, I think that goes back to earlier too, is people are trying to find, you know, what they need. And, you know, it's a cliche to say, well, people are at their desks and or in their cars and it's ruining them. And I think, it's a cliche because there's aspects of it where it's true, mm-hmm. right? You can really enjoy your job and say you're, you're at, uh, even though you're at the computer and you're staring at it and you can, you know, you can find value in it, but, and it's just my bias is that I think uh, if it's not connected to any kind of movement, mm-hmm. you know, you're not going to last long. Yeah. It's just the way we're, we're built. Right. We right. haven't evolved past it. Yeah, I don't, I don't think we are going to evolve into a species that sits down all day. Mm-hmm. I, I don't think that's just unnatural. You know, it's not, you got to be aware of the naturalistic fallacy, right? Where everything, you know, like you should be in the woods and, you know, hunt your own food and skin your own game. That's a fallacy, right? There, there there's that life was brutish and short. <laughs> but there is something to it where, Maybe we should be moving around a little bit more. <laughs> Maybe we should be having uh, you know, our sights on something a little bit more than you know, uh, fast food in the car on the way home after we've been sitting in the desk for eight hours, right? There, there's, a, there's an in-between there that I think uh, we all need to seek. We need, it's almost like, um, I mean, I pointed out, and I think that there's so much to it because again, like to bring it back to martial arts, and in dancing and playing it's like these are things that at least in the way that i think you and i are communicating them are like they ask our senses to come alive in a very authentic way and i always kind of use this term like that our our our, our, like our senses and our nervous system are malnourished because we're not getting a lot of that kind of authentic interaction where it asks our senses to be really participatory and like yeah, I mean, you mentioned the treadmill earlier, and it's like, it just like sucks all of that away. Yeah, there's a lot of research in that too. Um, my bachelor's is in psychology. I did uh, I did psychology before we went to uh, physical therapy school. And there's that old study about the enriched environment, the rats. Mm-hmm. I don't know if you heard that. It's pretty classic. Uh, they put uh, you know groups of rats in their cages, and one was an environment that was just totally sterile nothing in it right uh and then they had another one which they called the enriched environment where you know maybe there's some wheels there's stuff to do uh soft textures rough textures all that type of thing so the enriched environment and it, it was it was uh you know readily apparent the rats were thriving you know even though they were still in the cage but they had when there was stuff the sensation was a sensory you know, equivalent of what you're talking about of being in the woods or, or uh, 
interacting with someone else. That's another massive, massive uh, problem that happened uh, you know, in the last couple of years. You know, quarantine, lockdown, you know, that lack of social, you know, uh, yeah, socialness. You know, and lots of people, you know, it, maybe they, they're introverts and they you know, don't really want to go out, but to, have not, to not have the choice to be able to do that too. I think really, you know, the, the implications of that are going to appear for years and years from now, mm-hmm. unfortunately, especially in, in men, mm-hmm. right? The, the epidemic of uh, lack of social uh, connections in, in men is, is well-documented. Uh, it's, it's, al- it's already an issue too, right? Because of the kind of societal, societal expectations of what being a man means. Mm. right and then you add on to that all of this other stuff and it's just again it's just it's just really bad really bad for us yeah you know i hadn't thought about it too much until you know not too long ago really i guess i was super late to the party but i was turned on to Brene brown yeah and she Great. was I, I watched her netflix special and then i read uh daring greatly and there's a whole section, I think, in the book on on vulnerability, but really it was written to men and for men. Mm-hmm. If I remember right, I could just be making that up. But um, speaking to like the society and the culture, and realizing that like oh, like this is a um, it's a group of people who are in some ways kind of led to believe to suppress that. Yeah, absolutely. And that makes these interactions difficult. Yeah, and I think it's great that. You know, with Brene and these other, you know, other people talking about it now. I come from it from a, a different angle because I, I saw this early on, you know, when, again, therapy taught me a lot, not just going to school and education, but interacting with patients, right, immediately um, in lots of different settings, you know, hospitals, nursing homes, clinics, you know, home health. I saw a lot of, of life in that way and i saw firsthand that the that thing the 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 social kind of isolation that many many of my patients had and particularly men right so i'm coming at this sort of i i had experienced this and maybe in a way that i wasn't really cognizant of until later on when you know i read the research or you know i had all these conversations with different people but i saw it already I already saw it, right? Uh, one of the things that I noticed immediately too is like the difference between uh, a very young, in my opinion, 60-year-old versus 90-year-olds that had uh, active lifestyles, social support, all these types of things. Like I saw 60-year-olds that were just, they're ready to go. They were nearly dead. And then I saw 90 plus year olds that were just, they looked like they had another 30, 40 years left. You know, what was the difference? And I remember thinking that, now, what's the difference? It's not just, oh, one has diabetes or one has heart condition. Yes, sure. But there's all of the factors that even led to that, right? You're more likely, you're less likely to have these, uh, these heart conditions, you know, and all of these types of things if you were active if you had a higher social support, if you did all these types of things. And again, I mean, man, 
I looked at the chart. I looked at this this guy in particular. I'm like, how are you only 60 years old? Right? When down the hall, there's a, a 90-year-old woman who is just, you know, she was playing piano, she was jumping around. The only reason she was in there is, you know, she she fell and broke her hip. Right? But totally different. So, yeah. How's that for that's a that was a tangent, but that's what it is. All of these things interconnect. Uh, I we, think a lot of this maybe you won't know until later on, right? Mm-hmm. It's the it's well, hopefully you won't, right? Hopefully the the sooner you know this type of information gets out to people, or you find someone that can help you, you know, kind of navigate everything, the better. But a lot of this, I think, is experiential. Mm-hmm. you it's have to be open kind of, it's also kind of like being yeah being curious being like open to questions rather than answers right kind yeah, of like absolutely embracing like you know they're so kind of broad terms but like embracing like wonder and mystery rather than everything being kind of like rigid and and whole all the time yeah because i think that like that's how you kind of start to dance a little bit and get a little bit lost and like you know, cross paths with people you might not have crossed paths with before. And, and I don't know. That's, I, I think, think you have to be ready for it. Yeah, yeah. I think you have to either uh, intentionally open yourself up to it, or it has to be a, a time in your life where, you know, maybe it's more accidental, mm-hmm. but there has to be some sort of openness towards that. Uh, it's very hard to convince someone you know, that's not ready or convince yourself. Uh, it's tough when, there, when there's like cultural forces that are like basically sending the stream in the other direction with yeah, absolutely everything. Absolutely. You know? absolutely. That's where uh, I think like the physicality of things helps because it, it's similar to what you were saying about, you know, being out in nature or, you know, the vision questing thing where you were kind of plopped out in the middle of nowhere. Uh, it's sort of like the hierarchy of needs thing, mm-hmm. right? If you're all of a sudden now, you're like, man, I got to figure out what to eat. I got to, you know, shelter myself, those types of things. The, the micro of that is like this physicality of say rough housing, you know, being in BDJ or just getting so fatigued that you're out of your head. So I think, uh, and that's what I've found over the years, that the physical kind of intervention kind of helps people be more open because it, it kind of, I don't say it gets rid of, of hangups, but it, it, it softens them, I think. You know? I often say that like, you know, when you're in the deep water in jujitsu, which I'm, yeah, in, absolutely. I'm, in, I'm in all the time, uh, or when you're playing to the point where like, you're totally present or if you're dancing in the way where you know they the cliche like dancing as if no one's watching yeah absolutely you're, you're totally out of your own way like when i like in out of your own way i always mean like the story of who you are has like greatly diminished and you're well, the story you're, you told yourself right exactly the story of who you think you are is being quieted and this space for like being with that moment is happening yeah absolutely and I think a lot of it, you can't just talk. Right. You know, there has to be, uh, the, again, the physicality of it. 
Because if it was just talking, I think a lot more people would be fine, right? Uh, they could read something, they could look to lectures and podcasts, whatever. But you don't get it until you get it. And right. you don't get it until you, you know, get dirty, you know, get sweaty, have someone lying on top of you. Yeah. Right? Suppressing your, your breathing. And you learn not to freak out. That's the hard part, though. So how do we do that? You know, that's been my thing, too, is, you know, teaching uh, martial arts and, and, again, emphasizing that this is a, you know, a fighting thing. How do, how do we make it real, but at the same time, not just overwhelm? So I have friends, and they're good teachers, but they, a lot of, you know, one in particular, he's like, well, you just got to throw them in there and, you know, don't hold back, don't do nothing. And I'm like, dude, no, no way, man. You're, you're, when you do that and you have success with it, it's only because the people who are left that got through it are successful. My thing is, can I get everyone that comes to me to keep doing this next year, two years, three years? And so there has to be uh, an incremental, uh, incrementalness to it. You know, you, you just, yes, make it real. But if you just throw someone into, oh, here's the one. So I teach, I've been teaching women self-defense in particular for, you know, five, six years, uh, essentially after that 2016 election. I say, I got to do something, right? You know, they're essentially telling women, you know, it was backwards. Anyway, I was teaching and this very young girl was in it and she was doing all right, you know, but she still had a lot of, a lot of fear and anxiety. And uh, we took slow and then she got better and it was good. It's great. That's my favorite thing. But she described uh, being in, I think, high school, and I don't know what program it was, but what she described was it was abuse, mm-hmm. it was straight up abuse. Yes, I I believe in in uh, in sparring and situational drills and you know really working it hard right for self self defense it needs to be, but not your first thing. Mm-hmm. Like she described them being in the gym, uh, they turn the lights off, and they're like, okay. And then they just started, you know, hitting people, doing all these types of things. Wow. Yeah. And I was like, what? And I get it. Again, this is this is the thing. Yes, it's real. Sure, that could happen. But you know, I'm not into that. Mm-hmm. I'm not into that. I'm I'm looking to help people uh, find themselves. Mm-hmm. And yes, I teach self-defense. And yes, I've narrowed it down. And yes, we have to, again, progressively, incrementally make it more and more difficult because, you know, the reality is a thing. But there's no way in hell I'm going to, you know, put a bag over someone's head and just, you know, beat the shit out of them. That's crazy. Yeah. But this is what we're fighting against because the nuance is gone. Mm-hmm. I can say these things like, well, martial arts, martial arts, and fighting is, is the thing. And people will take that out of context and go, well, shit, every time you get on the mat is a fight. That's not what I'm saying. Not at all. But I'm also not saying, oh, it has to be right, flowy and you know, there's no resistance at all. It's the either or thing, man. You like you gotta like 
I always tell people, I mean, it's so simple. Just go to the dog park and watch two dogs who are yes. really good at playing because they're doing it. They're doing that thing where they're playing and dancing and fighting all at the same time. Like one dog's not just like kicking the hell out of the other dog. Like, right, exactly. like the bigger dog doesn't pin the other one down from time to time, but it's right. short lived because he's more interested in keeping the play going and knowing that like without yes. knowing without knowing that just by That's continuing their rough housing play, like in the event of something real down the line, Right. They're prepared. See, that's and that's the healthy, the healthy play. And dogs are a great example because if you have several and one dog gets out of line, right? You'll see that, you know, the I don't say older or more experienced, but you'll see them put that dog back into mm-hmm. what it should be doing. Mm-hmm. Right. The so when you have reactive dogs, when you're ready, you know, this thing too, because we have a rescue. And I've talked to different trainers and I have friends that are trainers and, you know, um, it's, uh, it's exactly what you said. The rough housing is there. The play is there. They're, they're going hard at it, but they're not going beyond a certain point where it becomes, you know, malicious. Right. That's the hard part too. With this mar- with the martial arts stuff, man, I've been doing this for a long time. And, you know, when, when I was in Hawaii, there was a, bunch of stuff where uh people just come in and think like it's gonna be a fight and i was in you know this is when i was younger but there was two or three of us that that uh my teacher would always have go with the new people mm-hmm. and uh you know it's just every school has that and most of the time everybody's gritty is cool but you can kind of tell sometimes when someone's coming in mm-hmm. for whatever reason Right. And you got to be ready to protect yourself and also to, you know, just like dog, dog playing. If you don't, if you don't, uh, if that one of the dogs gets out of line, if you, if he's not put in line real quick by the other dogs, you know, I'm not saying like trainers or, you know, whip him or whatever, uh, he will continue to do that or they will continue to do that. The same thing where, you know, we're not animals, but we're animals, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Maybe that's the thing too, the martial arts and fighting and playing and doing all these types of things. Again, not to fall into the naturalistic fallacy, but primal is, is a word and it's real. Yeah, well, and I think that that's why we feel like so enriched in ways that we can't always explain when we, when we experience these things and like the best word we can come to is like fun or it felt meaningful or it felt connected or something right. because it's, it's satisfying. Yeah. Like a, a primal. Yeah, earth, absolutely. You know, right. and, and it's so much different. Like, you know, all the things you're describing are also kind of challenging the like winning paradigm. Like we're not yeah, talking absolutely. about, winning, you know, and I, and I propose this sometimes in, jujitsu it's hard because you know you have a, a whole culture of people who are playing to win even if it's like a really supportive gym it's still coming yeah. out it's emerging from you know at least of the american culture and it's like what if what if we really played for each other like what if i really like if you and i rolled like what if i really rolled with the intention of helping you learn and vice versa like what does that game look like right right it happens mm-hmm. you know I've, I've experienced it the thing is again it's the nuance it's you can roll with the intent of trying to help the other person, but also you have to give that other person a challenge. Mm 
So mm-hmm. you can't just, well, that's the thing. You can have all of, you can have various intents with mm-hmm. each role or even within each role, right? If you are a teacher and I've done this all the time, you can give some things to the person, right? Um, especially, yeah, I had uh, a private student a couple months ago, uh, very reticent, bigger than me too, very good. But I would give stuff, mm-hmm. right? And he wouldn't take it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know what I'm saying? And some of it was because <laughs> it's because they're fearful that you're giving them something that's like a trap. Right, <laughs> they don't want to do anything, but that's a that's a paralysis, and it interrupts you know the learning. So I'm like, I, I remember stopping going. Yeah, I know you might think it's a trap, but I think you gotta go for some of these things, right? Mm-hmm. But at the same time, you have to have rules where you just actually dominate someone. Yeah, well, that's you I mean, have that's, to. It's part of that, learning. I mean, that's part of it too. I mean, I, my friend Brendan Weaver, who I had here on the podcast, he actually just got his black belt last night. Um, awesome. 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 But he and I, he, he rolls with me often, man. And he, you know, he wrestled at a high level. He was in the UFC, like, but he'll roll with me. And I mean, he's probably got, I don't know, 30, 40 pounds. I mean, he will like, he'll bury me, but with the intention of like feeding me information about how yeah, perhaps that's it. listening and responding. But he's like, he knows that I can handle that amount of pressure. And absolutely, you know, it's coming from a place of deep listening. Mm-hmm. And, um, and that's so admirable because it's so easy to just like, I don't know, smash somebody down, tap them 12 times, you know, be able to like yep. go and stare at yourself in the mirror and be like, I'm awesome. And maybe there's a certain context where that's the learning that needs to happen. Maybe it's like that, that young, crazy kid who needs to be like submitted to learn yeah. some amount of discipline right. or something. No, but like, it's absolutely true. Mm-hmm. Uh, and again, it's the nuance of it. You should have all of these types of things. Should the majority of your training be that? Probably not. And again, I'm, I'm thinking of all of these things of, you know, my experiences and being in different schools and gyms. And I remember too, yeah, especially the one where there's visiting guys. Mm-hmm. And I remember one time, and this is just a few years ago, and I was already older, right? This was only like four or five years ago. And I was at a gym and I was doing, you know, the usual classes, Thai, you know, BJ, all this stuff. And then I was paired up with this guy was visiting i'm not big right i'm like five seven 160 whatever and this guy was like six four you know probably only like 24 and he was trying to kill me like straight up trying to kill me i'm like yeah whatever i know enough to protect myself and you know i got him once or whatever who cares but but he just kind of kept going and the next class was muay thai and he just grabbed my head and i'm like okay whatever and at one point i'm like oh just stop and he looks at me and it's like, oh, is that enough for, you know, this is just sort of monkey, monkey dance type of thing. And maybe you have to go through that, mm-hmm. right? Or maybe he's just a shitty person. I don't know. Mm-hmm. Right. But you cannot, uh, you cannot fall down to that. Mm-hmm. Right. Was well, it that do me any good? Doesn't do me any good. Doesn't do him any good, but who, who am I? Right. So I think what you're describing with your friend, Brendan, and, and whoever you partner with, you can be along that path together, which is awesome. 
Uh, but I think it's, I think that kind of thing is actually special. And maybe you don't have to have that with everyone because you can't have that with everyone. Again, this is my experiences throughout all the years. And, and right now, there's only a few people that actually, you know, roll with or do stuff. I, I'm probably at that point where I'm like, man, I'm not going to have my arm broke because some, you know, 20-year-old kid needs that in his life because I don't need that in my life. Yeah. I've done that. I've done that, man. That's another thing. There's cycles. You know, I'm not letting go of things or I'm not like stopping things, but at some point you kind of progress and you move on to, I'm still doing martial arts. I'm still rolling. I'm still kind of fighting. I'm doing all that stuff, but I'm not, you know, uh, not trying to die anymore. <laughs> right. right. I'm, I mean, I, I'm like, it's funny. I'm feeling that as well. I'm like in my, the, the upper end of my, my late thirties. Yeah. And it's only up until recently that I suddenly started feeling it like, uh, and, and, and also having people notice it. Like I was um, in Florida over the summer and these break dancer friends of mine came out and stayed with me and they're young and a couple of them are really young. I think one of the dudes is like 24 and, uh, and he was like, Hey, how old are you? After we had spent this day, like swimming and climbing trees and stuff. And I told him how old I was. And he was like, wow you've got a lot of energy for your age. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's true, I, realized, I was like, Oh man, I like, there's this, been this kind of like aging event that has occurred that I was totally not aware of. And now people can actually kind yeah. of see. Yeah. Yeah. And, and again, it, it goes back to, it's not that you say, Oh, I'm going to stop now because of whatever, because I can't do the things. That's another thing too. Right if you attach too much to this optimal strength or optimal whatever you used to be and you get too attached to it, then it's very easy to go, well, why am I even doing this? Cause I'm never, you know, I'm not going to get back to that or, or whatever. Mm -hmm. And that that's the worst thing. Mm -hmm. That's the worst thing. And I'm not saying you can't go on and roll and play and jump and, and, you know, swim and do all that. That's obviously not true. But there's cycles, you know, that's the progression of life. And you sort of have to, uh, it's hard, right? Because you don't want to say, oh, you got to accept that you're older. And that's not what I'm saying. It's just, you got to realize that there's a, you know, there's seasons. Yeah. You and you're, keep... you're talking, um, I had Marcello Palazzo on and he talked about kind of looking at life as seasons as well. Mm -hmm. and, being, and being honest about what season you're in, in yeah life. absolutely but every season like maybe you know summertime yeah i mean you're like jumping off a diving board and trying to do backflips and stuff and that's how you're playing but there's still so much play to have like in the fall and the winter too it's yeah, like absolutely playing in the leaves or you can building a be building a snowman right but just like acknowledging that like you know the the, the play changes a little bit depending on your, yeah. your life season Absolutely. You know, being honest isn't being fatalistic or, you know, settling. That's not true. It's just being realistic. And for me, you know, martial arts and type of thing, there's lots of role models that can show that. Like people are just incredible well into their 60s and 70s 
and it's beyond just like hitting someone fast or you know submitting someone it's it's way beyond that mm-hmm. right it's they're like it's still their capacity to like listen deeply and and kind of get lost gracefully you know that's to me like i don't know that's that's the magic and all the things it's like you know how to yeah again play dance fighting it's just like just looking for opportunities to like get lost and be more comfortable getting lost yeah and i think these are lessons that again you have to be open to mm-hmm. it's going to be really hard to say these things to like a 17 year old or an 18 year old or, <laughs> or whatever right uh yeah whatever yeah. right but once you hit you know 30s 40s i think people are a little bit more receptive to it and really want to continue or get back into it you know uh i think people are really missing on something if they don't find uh, their physicality that really works for them Mm-hmm. I'm curious, uh, you know, the things you're talking about and the things you're thinking about and talking about having your kids, like, you know, what is the ways that you kind of share these perspectives with your, with your children, especially as they're like now teenagers? Yeah, I think it's super hard. I don't think, you know, I don't know if I can figure that out. I think you... A lot of time, you know, especially when they were younger, you know, they saw me doing stuff like I got stuff in the garage and right, you know, playing around. I took them to the classes like they were in high chairs when I was teaching, right? Uh, all my seminars and stuff. So there's that. I mean, even just taking them with you and having them see stuff, right? You don't even need to, well, yes, you should. I mean, I guess I'm saying it doesn't really need to be formalized too much, especially the younger they are, right? Be a good role model, right? Show, not do, uh, show, not tell, mm-hmm. right? All that type of stuff. And kind of let them come to you. I've been really wary of like, again, this is my bias of like, okay, you got to do this. Let's do this, Right. I, I took them into BJJ, capoeira, all these types of things to see if they like it. And they did it for a little bit and then they kind of fell out of it. And like, I'm not going to force somebody to do that. I'm not going to force them. There are probably a few things that I will kind of force them to do. And that's even just being active. I think mm-hmm. they should do certain things. And, and uh, you know, uh, anyway, yeah, it's hard. I think the answer to that question is be a, a, be a role model be the person that you would like them to be, show them, right? Uh, be uh, honest in your actions, right? I think that's the primary thing. As they get a little bit older, we can probably do a little bit more formally, but you know, I, again, that's my bias, I was never into that. And I have friends that they do that, you know, that with their kids, they're very formal, formalized, right? It's uh, dojo time now, mm-hmm. right? And maybe there's nothing, I don't think there's anything wrong with it. I just, I don't feel like that's, uh, I don't feel like I should be doing that. Mm-hmm. That makes sense. Yeah. 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 It's like leading from the front and kind of, yeah. you know, and, and yeah, like as, as, as we talked about with values and things, it's like, if you have the strong values, like live the values, don't just talk about them. 
Yeah, that's and that's absolutely it, right? You you live and you demonstrate the values, and it's very clear. Uh, kids and everyone in particular can see contradictions. If you're saying one thing and doing another, it's very obvious, super obvious. Mm-hmm. You know, being a hypocrite is not a good look for anybody. Right. 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 Yeah. Yeah. I think finding someone to, and it's a, it's a, it's a hard thing, right? You know, parents and, and children, uh, the dynamic is also, you know, depending on who you are and, you know, the way that you're raised and, and all that type of thing, you know, finding someone to help you, right? Mm-hmm. You know, the, uh, a lot of times they talk more to my, my brother, right, mm-hmm. than to me. You know, or you have a, if you have a friend that could teach them that type of stuff. Yeah, I like that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. That's the part of the community too. It takes a village. It's true. Yeah. Right? Maybe not a dozen people, but you know, two or three people. Yeah. Yeah. Not expecting that it's all on you. Yeah, absolutely. That I think that's huge, and it's hard because that is. I think you got it right there. A lot of the expectations, like. It's all on you. Mm-hmm. It's all on you. you know, until you uh, realize that it doesn't have to be that way. And that's, again, sometimes it has, it can't be, right? Uh, unfortunately, sometimes it is. Uh, and it, this, this led, leads to the even more the importance of having social connections in the community, mm-hmm. right? It's huge. So helpful. Also so powerful to like watch your parent do a couple of things. One, say, I don't know. And two, ask questions. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Listen, ask questions. And that's hard too, because, you know, we all have our things to do and like, oh man, I'm tired, right? Or I just got to do this thing. Uh, patience is hard, man. <laughs> yeah. Right. Um, patience for yourself is hard too. Yeah, no kidding. Well, so yeah. it's, it's, it's like it's hard to be patient with yourself when like we're kind of led to believe that everything needs to be like productive. Um, and yeah, absolutely. We end up stigmatizing a few things. We stigmatize fun. We stigmatize boredom and we stigmatize, and we stigmatize rest, mm-hmm. not realizing that they're, they're part of the same coin. They're just the other side. Yeah, absolutely. Right. Progress, getting better. I'm mean, even, I said, like getting better progress, mm-hmm right? The next step, you know, going forward, all these types of things, they sound good, but again, you have to define it. Mm-hmm. Uh, one thing too, right? You know, maintenance, everybody's like, oh, I'm at a plateau. I'm not getting any better. Well, the, the flip side of that is, okay, say you're not getting any better. You're staying the same. What happens if you stay the same if you say, all right, all right, I'm 48, uh, 47 right now. What if I stay the same for 20, 30 years? Think, think about that. What if at 77, I'm the same as I'm 47? Would you say that's bad? That's the other context. I was like, no, that's fucking great. <laughs> right? But in the moment, you're like, oh, I'm not getting any better. I'm staying the same. Mm-hmm. Would you say that again in 20 years when you're like, oh, I'm the same as I was when I was 47? Yeah. Oh, hey, man, you, you've hit the jackpot. Right. I think that's a reframe right there, especially, again, once you hit a certain age. Plateaus, right? Oh, the dreaded, you know, oh, my God, am I getting any better? 
Mm-hmm. Well, shit, you're not getting any worse. Yeah, when like better is such like a, a thing that we think needs to happen when like, I don't know, it looks so much different when we're rather than rather than thinking things need to be, get better or grow. Like what if we were just like, oh, it's just going to change. Yeah, think, absolutely. You know, there's a bookstore here in Brooklyn called The Word is Change. And I'm like, it's the word. Yeah. yeah. It's the only constant. That's the thing, Matt. We get hung up. We get hung up on what we're supposed to be, what we're supposed to do. And, you know, we think it's ever upward and then it's down. Well, it's not true. Right? Yes, it's ever upward. Yes, there's a decline. But that curve doesn't have to be like this. Mm-hmm. You know, the more we can flatten that out, the better. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, but that means you got to keep going. Don't stop, man. That's my thing. Man. If I can get people to just not stop, just keep going. It's hard, but man, the benefits are just massive. Yeah. Um, man, I'm happy that we finally got to meet because so many people have told me about you, and oh, that's, thank and you. Yeah. and I, you know, there were a couple times I was in Seattle, and I remember. People were like, oh, you should, you got to meet Jarlo. Oh, maybe it works out with the class. You can go take his class and it never happened. So I'm happy. Uh, at least we got to do this, this digital thing. Yeah, I think it was great. Yeah. Yeah, I've been been around a while. Uh, kind of lucky. I mean, we hit the kind of, we hit the thing. What was it? Uh, me and my partners, business partners, we got together, Ryan and Andy, we got together. When was that? 2004-ish, 2005 we started a company uh, a few years later. So we're sort of right at the beginning of a lot of this, you know, and, and it's funny, we're old guard now, mm-hmm. which is fine. Right. You know, I'll keep talking about the same things. Why not? Yeah. Well, it's, I mean, it's the, it's the, it's the important stuff. And it's, I mean, I mean, I've, I've, I know a number of like GMB instructors now and the things that they talk about, I'm like, Oh, this is, important and it's super accessible which matters because i think that yeah. like there's also like this accessibility issue that i think right. happens so that's uh that, that's been our focus right. you know who can you know the people that we can reach uh and provide an at least an introduction one of our things is and this is kind of what i meant with you know having to deep dive into something to you know really improve um but you can have we can help you build a base Mm -hmm. right uh a lot of time you know that 80 20 thing you can get 80 percent of the way into something you're pretty good right that extra and then that last 20 percent you know if you choose to do that that's awesome Mm -hmm. right it's massive go ahead you should do it but if you want to play around and learn different things uh get your body moving in a certain way you only need to get kind of good enough yeah right and that's it's funny right people are like oh what do you mean just good enough so you want to be be you know the best and better yeah sure go ahead but you got to get to a good enough first mm-hmm. right you got to have a good enough strength first you got to have good enough flexibility first you have to have good enough kind of coordination first then you can do stuff right mm-hmm. it's really hard to dance if you can't uh you know move your body in, in a certain way mm-hmm. yes you can still dance yes absolutely but I'm talking about movement options. The more options you have, the more fun you can have. That's that's fully it. It's fully it. 
martial arts wise, you know, the more tech, you know, not techniques, I'm kind of away from that, but the more kind of concepts, fundamentals, and, you know, all the things that all of the experiences uh, in the Filipino, Filipino martial arts to talk about angles. It's like, uh, I have all these angles or this guy stole my angles, right? What it, to me, what it really means is you have sort of that experience of all these things coming at you, right? Uh, if you're sparring and you don't know where this stick is coming from because you've never seen it before, you're toast, mm-hmm. right? But if you've had the rounds, if you had the years and you know where things are coming from, you know it before you even know it, right? Mm-hmm. The same thing with movement. Uh, everyone's like, oh, I got to be able to squat low and do these things. Yeah, sure. But you, you can do a lot of things and not have that. But the more you work towards it, the more freedom you're going to have for yourself. Right. That's kind of what we uh, what we try to do is like get to a good enough in certain things. And your play is going to feel so much uh, more free to you. Right. If we can help people do that. I think that's huge. What is the, um, like, what's the best way to get access to these programs is just, it's through the GMB website. Yeah. So gmb.io, uh, we got a YouTube, we got lots of stuff uh, available. You don't got to buy anything. Sure. You should buy stuff if you want. <laughs> we have, uh, we've been really good again. It's been, you know, I think 12, 13 years now. We got a lot of material. Uh, we have a lot of entry, good entry points and uh, you talk about GMB trainers, you know, put, there's more and more people uh, that can teach, you know, our methods and stuff. And we're grateful for that. Uh, but a lot of it is, you know, just check it out, see if it resonates with you. Again, it's the intent. What do you want to get out of uh, uh, being physical, mm-hmm. right? What does it mean to you? And uh, I think we can provide a little bit of that for you. Nice. And what's the, um, what's the best way to contact you? How do you prefer to like uh, the access? Well, if you go uh, gmb.io, you will contact us or, you know, uh, jarlo at gmb.io. I'm available. We have lots of great people on staff. Uh, Ryan also answers his emails and he answers email. You know, we're pretty accessible. Yeah. Uh, email's best. Try not to be on the Facebook too much. Good for you. Good for you. <laughs> it's hard. I mean, connection is, is key, right? But at the same time, you can get lost in it trying to uh, have all of these kind of people coming at you. Yeah. Man, I really appreciate this. Thank you for, uh, for making this happen with me. Uh, thanks for having me on, Kyle. Appreciate it. <laughs>